Lord, we just want to thank you. I want to thank you, God, for the fact that you are faithful. I want to thank you for your presence, Lord. Uh, Lord, it's been a, a day, Father, just uh, to come and to worship you and to be here in your presence. And I was reminded this morning of what you said, Jesus, that where two or three are gathered together in your name, then there you are in their midst, Lord. And so, Father, from this morning, just looking forward to being here, being with your people who gather in your name, and knowing that you're here in our midst, Lord, and that we get to be in your presence, Father. That's a blessing, Lord, and that we don't want to take that for granted. We don't want to take that lightly. We want to celebrate that today, Father. We need to be reminded of that, especially on a weekend like the one that we're in now, Lord, with the events that happened yesterday in Pittsburgh, Father, with the synagogue. And for those who are suffering and those who are um, dealing with the uh, outcome of evil, Lord, upon people. And Lord, we just want to pray that you would remind us and your people everywhere of your presence, Lord, that you have not left us or forsaken us, and that no matter what kind of evil things happen in our world, you're still here with us, Lord. You have an end in mind, and you're leading us in a certain direction, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you, just as you are faithful to us. Lord, we want to echo the words of the book of Revelation, where it says, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we also know that you leave us here on this earth for a, a reason, God, and we want to be a blessing to the world around us. And so, Lord, we ask you to use us. And right now, as we focus our hearts on your word, we ask you to speak to us, Lord. Speak through the scriptures and just help us to see what you want us to see, Father. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for having patience with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have to tell you, I've been... Uh, wrestling with this passage for a while, for a couple of weeks now. When I decided to go through the book of Romans, I don't know what I was thinking, honestly, because the book of Romans is not an easy book to get through. I've been reading all sorts of commentaries, one by N.T. Wright, which I love, and, and it's just there, there is just so much to explore. We talked about, I think on week one, how that passage we first read was like the launching pad for that rocket ship going off into space to go explore Mars. And it's like quickly becoming like Mars here as you go through the pages of the book of Romans because there's so much to navigate through. And so I sat there writing the sermon and it took me about four hours because I was trying to figure out what to say and what not to say. Otherwise, we'd be here for two hours with a two hour sermon because I could go on and on and on about just the passage that we're in this morning. And so I don't want to do that. Uh, so my challenge in my prayer over, over the weekend of preparing this sermon was, Lord, help me, to be, help me to condense this and help me to understand and to be able to really summarize what you are trying to get across here in this passage. And so we're in the book of Romans, and we're still in chapter 1, and we're in verses 16 through 25 today. And our topic, our theme is the gospel and God's wrath. One of those we like talking about. It's not the second one. We like talking about the gospel. We talk a lot about the importance of the gospel. We, as God's people, have been impacted by the gospel, right? It's something for us to celebrate. We, we talk about it in terms of going out and evangelizing the world and making more disciples. Hopefully that gets us excited. We've been talking about our missionaries lately and our need to support them, and we know that they're out all across the world today as we speak, and they're preaching the gospel. And we thank God for that. And so we love talking about the gospel. And as we see here in this passage, Paul loves talking about the gospel. In fact, in, in verse 16, which we'll read here in a moment, he says that this gospel, he's not ashamed of it, right? He's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. We believe that. We love that topic, right? It's the other topic that we sometimes maybe have a hard time with. 
Because who in here would admit that you like talking about God's wrath? This isn't something that we really like to bring up in conversation, right? It's like when you're in a, at a party or in a social circle, you don't talk about the government, politics, or God's wrath, right? Because that's not a very pleasant party conversation. And yet, it's a topic that we can't avoid if we want to be faithful to Scripture because the Bible doesn't shy away from it. The Bible doesn't shy away from a conversation about God's anger towards sin. We know as people who have been saved because of our belief in the gospel that we get the privilege and the gift of grace of being spared from the wrath of God. And yet we also know that it's still a reality for people all around us, for the human race in general, right? And so it's, it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. But if we understand it correctly, then it does also give us something to get excited about because God has a solution. God has an answer. It's not... God's explicit desire to just pour his wrath out upon people and be angry and condemn them to hell, right? God's desire is for people everywhere to repent and be saved. That's what we are trying to work towards an understanding of. And so let's go ahead and jump into it. Might as well. Romans chapter 1. I want to read to you verses 16 through 25. Maybe you're familiar with these verses a little bit. Maybe you've read them in your own time. I want to try to bring a little bit of a newer understanding of this topic of God's wrath and how it relates to also the topic of the gospel of Jesus. So let's start in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I think we can stop there and just talk about this for a moment. God loves the Jewish people, right? God's, I mean, if you look through the rest of the book of Romans, just on a side note, you get to Romans 10 and 11 and 12, and, and Paul talks about how his desire for Israel is that they would be saved. It is his desire for the Jews. And so on a day after the events that happened yesterday with the Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh, I think it's important for us to still remember God's love for the Jewish people and his desire for them to find salvation in Jesus. I just wanted to toss that out there. I felt like it was relevant. But Paul says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever." Amen. So, on one note, as I said, Paul talks about something that we can all get behind, get excited about, the power of the gospel. You know, there are 
as you look around the world around you, there are distinctions all over the place, right? Distinctions between certain groups of people. There are distinctions based on people's preferences sometimes. On a lighter note, you know, you have people who, for example, prefer the heat and some people who prefer the cold. Some people who prefer to turn the heater on in the middle of September and some people who want to have the air conditioner on in the middle of December, right? You have people who prefer beans in their chili and then people who are right and know that beans don't belong in chili, okay? You have people who prefer cats and people who know that only dogs are God's proven, approved creatures and that cats are from the other place, um, except ours, because ours is pretty cute. So, you have people who prefer the book version over the movie version, right? That's me. I like the movie. I don't like to read the book. I want to just see it on the big screen. And you have distinctions about preferences. You have distinctions sometimes about, uh, well, not sometimes, all the time, about political views, right? You have Republicans versus Democrats and conservatives against liberals and the right versus the left, and it goes on and on and on, right? You have theological distinctions sometimes. There are churches that have distinctions, and they distinguish themselves by their theological beliefs or their practices, whether it's baptism or tongues or whatever things might come up. And so there are lots of distinctions that, that exist and abound all around us. And maybe sometimes we find ourselves in different categories uh, compared to the people next to us or people even within our own families. And sometimes, if we're honest, those distinctions can create conflict and tension, right? It's hard sometimes for people who are polar opposites to get along, okay? And yet God still calls us to exercise and to live in unity with each other. And so we have all those sorts of distinctions in the world, and there's sometimes a matter of how people were wired and how they were raised and what their background is and what their tastes are and their personality styles and all sorts of things like that. But then you have distinctions based on people's choices, the path that they choose to take in life. Maybe their religious system, their belief system, right? The Bible talks about those same exact distinctions. It talks about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, men and women, uh, uh, the, the slaves and the free people. It talks about the, the Christians and the pagans. I mean, there are all sorts of distinctions. But then here in this passage, we see a distinction between two other groups of people. People who have been changed by the gospel and people who are experiencing the wrath of God. And they're both in the present tense. They're not just people who will one day inherit the promises of the gospel, but people who are currently experiencing the fruit of that faith and that righteousness in their lives, that favor with God. And then people over here who not only will one day experience God's wrath in the day of judgment, but who are right now experiencing God's wrath because of their unrighteousness and their decision to reject God, right? Those distinctions exist in our world, in our lives. You may find yourself, you find yourself in one category. Hopefully you find yourself in the category of people who have believed the gospel. You agree with Paul that the gospel is something to not be ashamed of. And you agree with Paul that the gospel is powerful and that the gospel is, is, design, is meant to go and touch, reach all the nations and change people's lives. And you have, you know, with Paul and all the other believers, you have been justified by your faith in that gospel and that message of salvation. Right? You find yourself in that category. But we all know people who are in the other category, don't we? We all know people who have chosen not to accept the gospel. Not because they've never heard it, but because it could be a number of reasons. They aren't ready yet. They don't want to believe it. They refuse to believe it. They don't agree with you that it's necessary. They don't even believe in God himself. A number of different reasons, but we all know people who are continuously, every day, making that conscious choice to reject God and reject Christ. 
And the Bible is very clear that it's on in verse 18 that the wrath of God is being revealed even now upon those people. Now, Paul isn't just talking about a particular person or a group of people. He really is talking about the whole human race in general. But you and I, we know people who fit into that category. What do our hearts tell us about those people? It's easy to write them off and just give up hope and just say, oh, they're going to continue to re reject it and refuse to believe. There's no hope for them, right? But maybe the challenge is not to write them off and just say, well, they'll never come around. They're just going to continue to reject the gospel and they're going to end up facing the consequences of that. Our challenge then is to say, we have hope that God is still going to one day reveal himself to them. We have hope that maybe one day they'll experience all the consequences of their rejection of Christ and they'll get to the end of themselves and they will realize, maybe when it's most painful, that they really do need a Savior. And they'll be able to join us on this side of the gospel as well. I was, uh, we were watching, I've talked about it before, but one of my favorite recent movies, I like kid movies, I don't know, I can't hide that, was A Wrinkle in Time. You know, have you seen the movie A Wrinkle? Maybe you've read the book. See, I'm the, book, the movie person. I like the movie version instead of the book version. I don't, I've never read A Wrinkle in Time, but I like the movie. And so maybe it'll inspire me to go and check it out sometime. But I was reminded of this scene in the movie um, as I was studying this passage. That there's, the whole concept is that there's this uh, other planet where this thing is, I think it's called the It or the Thing or whatever you call it. It's basically the possessor of darkness. It's the creator of darkness. And, and so the darkness is trying to spread over all the universe and infiltrate the world and corrupt all of humanity, basically, right? And so the kids, and they're, they're specially chosen to go and try to defeat the it so that the it can't spread its darkness all across the world. And, and so Mrs. Witch, who is portrayed by Oprah Winfrey, uh, says to the girl something along these lines, where you see hatred and violence and anger and envy in the world that is the darkness spreading its reach all across the world and reaching into people's hearts and i thought about that as i was reading this passage because that's exactly what's happened with the whole human race right i mean since the beginning when adam and eve sinned in the garden and were banished from eden and and sin began to corrupt all of humanity from then on the darkness has been spreading all across the world all throughout the universe the darkness has been spreading through the hearts of humankind for generations right yesterday was just one of another tragic event in our country someone else brutally senselessly attacked for no reason other than their religious belief right that is the epitome of evil and wickedness and that's the, the epitome of what Paul is talking about here. These people are, are walking in unrighteousness and their rejection of the gospel. And, and so what ends up happening is that God takes away his hand of restraint. He lets them continue and wander off into their sin. As, the, uh, as I read this commentary from N.T. Wright about this passage, he equates it and illustrates it with this story about a tree that he said was chopped down near his home. He lives in, in England. He says this tree was, was massive and had been there for a while. It was tall and huge. And he said that the experts came and told him, we have to chop the tree down because it's rotting on the inside and the roots are rotting. And within a year, this tree will die completely and will fall over and it might hurt somebody. He said, I didn't, I didn't believe them because it looked healthy on the outside. Everything looked fine. 
but I let them do what they do. And he said they, they chopped it down. And when he looked, went over to examine the trunk and, and what they had chopped down, he looked inside and inside there was this rottenness growing from the inside. And they were right. That on the inside of this tree, the rottenness was spreading and that eventually what they said was going to happen would have happened. The whole tree would have rotted and fallen all over. And he says that's exactly what's happened to mankind. The, the, the rottenness has begun to spread and it's decaying all of humanity. So what's Paul exactly talking about here? He says in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed. That's the present tense. It's, it's, it's currently, currently, presently being revealed upon those who are practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, who are, are holding and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Okay? So again, he's not just talking about one particular group of people, although he could have been. Think about where, who he was writing to. This is the middle of the Roman Empire, right? Their, their emperor eventually was, was Nero, one of the craziest, most psychopathic emperors that Rome had, right? And so, yes, Paul could have been addressing the Roman Empire and Emperor Nero and, and all the things that were happening there. But what he's really talking about is kind of a bigger picture, all of humanity. And what does he say God ends up doing because of their continual rejection of the gospel? He says that they, they really have no excuse. He says there are, there's evidence of God and his, his realness all around them. They just look at creation. There's signs of God all around. No one, is, no one has an excuse to reject God. And he talks about the fact there in verse 24 that because of all this, because they've done this and they've, they've departed from any knowledge of God, they've re refused to believe in him. They've just rejected the gospel. They've, they've gone on into their sin. Verse 24 says the consequence of that is that God gave them up to uncleanness. That's the, the, the picture of God's wrath. See, a lot of times when we think about God's wrath, we think about a guy like this. I googled angry Zeus and came up with this picture. This is what we think about when we think about God's wrath, right? We think God's going to strike someone down with a bolt of lightning, right? God's going to just pour his anger out upon people, you know? I think about it like uh, when the kids, when we go to the city pool and they have the splash pad there and there's those buckets of water that fill up and the kids like to stay under them and then they fill up and they just dump over, right? And all the water comes pouring out on their heads. A lot of people think about God's wrath like that. And maybe sometimes you secretly wish that God's wrath would be like that upon certain people who really make you angry. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. See, we really have to have an inaccurate biblical understanding of the wrath of God. Yes, there is an element that involves some future judgment and anger and consequences being poured out upon people on the day of judgment. When all of this is over and people stand before God, the Bible makes it clear in the book of Revelation that they will face that wrath of God being poured out upon them. That's a, a tragic thing. We shouldn't celebrate that, right, or take that lightly. But currently, the wrath of God is being poured out upon people, and here's how. God is taking his hand of restraint off of people. Basically, he's saying, if you want to continue in sin, you want to continue to reject me, then I'm just going to remove my hand and just let you go. That's one of the, the, the best and the most frequent examples of God's wrath upon someone's life is that he just lets them go. I think we know people like that, right? We can look at the evidence and the fruit of their lives and we realize God is just letting them go. God's letting them go. You know, one of our favorite songs is Come Now Fount of Every Blessing, you know? And one of the verses in there says, talks about how we are prone to wander, right? Prone to leave the God that we love. If we know that even as born-again Christians, we are prone to wander into sin, we have to know that people who are unbelievers are prone to wander further and further and further into sin. 
And at a certain point, if they continue to reject God's prompting and God's attempts to bring them to himself, what does God do? His wrath is that he lets them go. He gives them up. In verse 24, it says, God also gave them up to uncleanness. In verse 26, it says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. In verse 28, it says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I think it's safe to say, and maybe this is accurate, that over the last several generations, a lot more evil has been happening in the world, right? And yet at the same time, the same sorts of evil have been happening for generation after generation since the days of Adam and Eve. And Cain and Abel, you know, Cain committed the first murder. I mean, they, 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 there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. And yet the, maybe the frequency of the evil has increased. And it, maybe it seems like this to you. It definitely seems like this to me that God has begun to take his hand of restraint off of humanity, right? That things begin to happen and get worse and, be, and happen more frequently because God is not any longer restraining people, but he's just giving them over, giving them up to their depravity and giving them up to the sins of their hearts and the lust of their flesh and letting them wander off into their own sin. That hopefully does not seem cruel to you. Because I think that even though it's a picture of God's wrath, there's still some mercy involved with that. It's not God just immediately writing them off and saying, you know what, if you're going to continue in sin and you want to live that way, then I'm just going to let you go and, and I'm not even going to bother with you anymore. I don't think it's that way. There's still some mercy involved in this. I think what ends up happening is that people begin to experience the consequences of God just letting them go off into their own sin. The hope is that eventually they'll realize their need for a Savior. That eventually they'll reach the end of the road. They'll hit rock bottom. They'll come to the end of themselves. And they'll realize how much they actually need God in their lives. That can be our prayer. See, we are people, like I said earlier, who belong in that first category. We've been saved by the gospel. As I thought about this passage and thought and kept asking the Lord, how can this apply to our lives? You know, the first thing that came to my mind is make us, it should make us grateful that we get to be spared from God's wrath. Not only his future wrath, but his current wrath too. God doesn't let us wander off into sin. He loves us and he has, we have been purchased by him. We belong to him. Our lives exist not for ourselves any longer, but our lives are in Christ now. God knows our, our tendency to wander and yet he snatches us back, right? He, he doesn't let us go far. That's a, a grace from God and we should be thankful that we don't have to experience God's wrath like that. We can be grateful that we don't have to look forward to the day of judgment where God's going to pronounce wrath upon our sinful choices because the Lord knows we probably deserve a lot of wrath, don't we? For all of our sinful choices and behaviors in our lifetime. But secondly, it made me think about the people who I know personally who are rejecting the gospel, rejecting God, who want to live a life apart from Him and think that that's the best option for them. I mean, I, I have... I, have, I know people, I have I, young people who I've come across who have sat there and told me, literally, I don't need God and I don't want God with anger in their hearts. We all know people like that. That can make us feel a lot of different things. It can make us feel hopeless for those people. It can make us feel angry towards those people. 
can make us feel like, well, they're just not going to be one of us. And so we don't have to love them the way that God wants us to love them. But I think instead it should make us hold out hope for them. We realize that, you know what? They're going to make that choice. God's going to eventually take his hand of restraint off of them and let them go off into their sin. He's going to give them over to their depravity, give them over to their lusts and their sinful hearts and minds. And eventually they're going to come to the end of that and realize how broken and damaged they are, how much destruction a life like that creates. And they're going to realize how much they need Jesus. And I want to be right there for them when that happens. That's my challenge. That's our challenge. To be right there for them when that happens. See, the wrath of God is not something that we have to avoid or be ashamed of. Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We would say we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But how many of us would probably have to admit Sometimes we are a little ashamed to talk about the wrath of God. And yet it's a reality that people have to be aware of, even if they choose not to believe it. Just because a person doesn't believe something doesn't mean it's not true. That's important for our day and age, don't you think? God says the evidence of His, his existence lies all around us. People don't have an excuse They might say, well, they might have a number of different reasons for their rejection of the gospel. A lot of times it's coming from some sort of brokenness or letdown or disappointment in their lives. We can be patient with people. Peter says that God is not, uh, he's not ignorant, he's not trying to avoid, he is patient, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can that be our sentiment also? We are long-suffering and patient, not willing to see anybody perish, but hoping and praying that all people come to repentance. Can that be our prayer today? For that person who you are thinking of, who you know is is wandering far away from God, can you be praying with patience and long-suffering that one day that person will come to repentance and not perish apart from Christ? I think that's our calling this morning. That's how the gospel and the wrath of God are connected. And so this week, I just want to invite you to give some more thought to that. Maybe celebrate and rejoice in the fact that you've been spared from that, the consequences of your sinful choices. Thank God for that. Don't give up hope on the people who are wandering far away. It's not supposed to be an us versus them kind of distinction. It's supposed to be an us wanting them to be a part of us kind of thing. Amen? Let's stand. I want to be ready to pray and be dismissed.